The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 49, 12 Turns of the Screw, Part 2. You need to ask? Don't leave us hanging, Jack said. Isabel concurred. Snake maidens were of particular interest just at the moment. She hoped that Lucas, as the only Yvonne she knew, didn't mind her reptilian side either, since Owen's attack had forced her to reveal her secret, though she had never actually allowed herself to fully transform before. She always believed she could, saving it as her last move with Owen if he ever went too far. But, unlike her father, who had never risen to her defense against her brother's cruelty, Lucas had shown up, and not as an avatar like he did in the Vale. So he was here, really here. One of his first tales was about a princess and a firebird. It seemed so obvious now that he'd been trying to share part of his story. For a supposedly brilliant doctoral candidate, Isabel felt pretty dull just then. Snakes and eagles were meant to be famous enemies, but snakes and firebirds? The dragon and phoenix juxtaposition worked in Asia. Would it work for them? Baba Yaga was thinking about what a handy way out of her current situation 12,000 troops of her very own would be. When she got home... She might even keep a few of them around for dinner. Soldiers from the good old days in her country were a surprisingly superstitious lot and, less surprisingly, easily led. She'd wanted to continue with the story, too, in case the ring, like the scattered boxes here and there, might be found in the story world and put to use in this one. Then again, if she found such a ring... Maybe she shouldn't look at the battalions as mere consumables and playthings when she got back to the time and place of her greatest power. What could the greatest witch in all the world do with an army at her back? Gather more armies and press forward, for one thing. Putting the entire realm under the sweeping grind of her mortar and pestle. And on that happy thought, Baba Yaga said generously, By all means, pilot. Please go on. Lucas continued. The Tsar was sure that the tasks he had set for Ivan would defeat his infatuated resolve. True, his daughter was beautiful, but she was also no fool, and despite his sudden good fortune, Ivan clearly was. When Ivan got home, he waited until midnight and turned the twelve screws on his ring. His 12,000 faithful troops appeared, pledging as one to fulfill his every command. He told them what he wanted done, and the troops set to work, even though Yvonne doubted that the tasks were possible in a single night for them. Two clever commanders took Yvonne aside and said, Master, 
We can build anything you desire, but wax trees and a wax church will melt away. Not a good omen for your marriage, surely. Better to have the trees real and the church made of gold and silver, the minarets and precious stones bound with copper and covered in wax, so that with the bright morning sun the wax will melt away. The trees will burst forth in blossoms and fruit, and the church will stand in resplendent glory for the ceremony and for the generations to come. Ivan agreed that this would be a better idea, but that the soldiers should make the trees and church look like they were merely waxworks when the Tsar first gazed upon them finished in the morning. If I don't deliver what he expects, I won't be able to marry the princess, Ivan explained. The commanders saluted and went away. In the morning, the Tsar got up and beheld everything that he had asked for, but noticed that the wax was melting off the trees and the beautiful church. Well, he tried to do what I said. The golden road is wide and level, nicely paved, The gold and silver bridge has a beautiful arch, and the swans, geese, and fish populating the water are fine and plentiful. But the wax trees are melting, and I expect the church will shortly come down under the weight of its bejeweled roofs. Too bad, Ivan. So close. The Tsar rubbed his greedy hands together. He had already dispatched his most trusted guards with carts, boxes, bags, and sledges, to gather the treasure when the church collapsed. Little father, one of his guards said, the church is made of copper, silver, and gold and isn't going anywhere, and the trees are bursting into bud, blossom, and ripening fruit with every drip of melting wax, and that's not all. What else? the Tsar asked, peevish disappointment clear in the regal voice. As the wax melts off the trees, It falls in the form of wax apples, perfectly round and rosy, and the stem is a candle wick. And the same thing at the church, except there the wax forms replicas of the church, and the faithful are buying them as votive candles. The Tsar said a few unholy words under his breath. I guess there's no help for it. My treasury will not be richer, and my daughter must marry a fool. Tell the Tsarevna to prepare for her wedding. The ceremony was a splendid affair, and as the guests left the church to attend the wedding feast at Vaughn's castle, servants presented them with ripe, real apples from the miraculous trees. No sooner had all the fruit been picked from one than new apples grew in their places, flowering and forming as if by magic. Generous as he was, and in honor of his happy day, Ivan decreed that any person passing by should pick their fill, and none should go without. The fool was besotted with his wife, and indeed, the Tsarevna could make him do, or admit to, just about anything. Tell me, beloved, she said one evening, how did you create all of the wonders and marvels my father demanded of you on the night before our wedding? The golden road, the beaten silver and gold bridge, the apple trees, the church? You are a lovely fellow, but neither the most quick-minded nor the most industrious. How did you do it? 
I have a ring with twelve screws, Yvonne said. If I go out into an open space and turn the screws, twelve thousand men appear and they do my bidding. His beautiful bride filed this knowledge away for later. The couple lived happily enough for some time, but the princess took a fancy to one of the servants, a handsome, clever fellow. They plotted together to get the ring and use it for their own benefit. By and by, the fool's wife stole the ring, and she and her lover took it out to an open field. She summoned the twelve thousand. They were surprised to see her and not Yvonne, but they greeted her deferentially and asked what she wanted. I want you to move our castle and all the surrounding lands to a beautiful location across the sea, but leave my foolish husband in rags and let him wake up in a tumble-down cabin. The twelve thousand obeyed, and Ivan awoke alone and destitute. He went to the only family he believed could help him, his father-in-law. But the little father wanted nothing to do with the raggedy, wretched excuse for a son-in-law who stood before him. "'You've gone and lost my daughter and your fortune besides. Very irresponsible of you, my boy.' Then to his guards, he said, "'Take this fool and wall him up in the narrowest chamber in the tower. Let him rot there. I can't stand the sight of him.' And so Ivan was imprisoned in a tower, though it was so narrow it hardly deserved the name. It was more like a hollow stone pillar. A terrible, lonely death awaited him. All was not quite lost. Ivan still had his faithful dog and cat, who dug under the wall and stayed with him and brought him food. One day, though, the cat spoke for the pair of them to her master, saying, Please let Dog and me go beyond the sea to find the Srevna and retrieve your ring that you might turn your life around. Ivan was sorry to see them go, but saw great wisdom in the plan, and they left with his fervent hopes for their success. By and by, the valiant pair found their way across the sea and searched until they found Ivan's castle in its new surroundings. The dog saw the princess and her beloved walking and talking happily together in the garden. The cat sprang over the garden wall and began meowing piteously, rubbing against her former mistress's skirts. Oh, there's the cat that belonged to Yvonne. How did she get here? She called to her maidservant. Feed this creature and send her on her way. The maid was afraid of cats and kept a respectful distance as she accompanied Yvonne's cat inside for her meal. The cat ran ahead of her and searched around for the ring. She saw it in a glass box on a shelf above the stove. In the way of her species, the cat jumped onto the shelf and playfully batted the glittery, fragile thing toward the edge of the shelf until the box fell off and smashed on the floor. The ring rolled free and the cat leapt down and grabbed the ring in her mouth. She was out the door before the astonished maid could raise the alarm. I have the ring. Let's be off before they catch us, the cat exclaimed to the dog. They had come across the sea, stowed away on various ships, making their way from port to port. But there were no boats of any kind now to help their escape. 
Get on my back, we'll have to swim, the dog cried. The dog was an excellent swimmer, but it was a long way, and even resting to float along on passing driftwood now and again, the dog tired. You are near death, my friend. Cats can swim too. Let me bear you a while, the cat offered. No sooner had she said this than the ring fell out of her mouth and sank beneath the waves. The cat and dog bemoaned their loss bitterly and struggled to shore as best they could, bereft of their master's prize by cruel fate. When they finally gained the shore, they were half drowned and lay side by side on the sand until they were recovered. Then the dog went chasing sparrows and small game in the sparse woods surrounding the shoreline, while the cat braved the lapping waves catching fish until she had quelled her great hunger. Biting into one particularly beautiful red and gold fish, she shouted, Dog! Dog! Come here! I have the ring! I have the ring! They decided the fish must have swallowed it. Praising the return of their luck, they went straightway to Yvonne in his tower and gave him the ring. If I turn the screws and summon my men, this tower will burst apart, Yvonne said. That's a problem, the cat asked. Yvonne summoned the men and soon he stood in their midst, the hollow stone pillar little more than dust. Help me make myself presentable to see the Tsar and build us a great flying ship ready to convey us to the present site of my castle, Yvonne commanded. Soon Yvonne presented himself to the Tsar, who wondered uncomfortably for a moment whether he had walled up an innocent man rather than his fool of a son-in-law. Where have you been? the Tsar asked. Across the sea, and I would show you what wonders are there in a wonder of my own. I have a ship that flies. The Tsar went very willingly, eager to see this flying marvel. As soon as he saw it was real, he began planning to confiscate it, but agreed with Yvonne that they should begin their journey without delay. While they were traveling, Yvonne asked the Tsar, if a man marries and his wife loves another and plots to be the ruin of her husband, what should that husband do if his luck should turn favorable again? Have the couple bound together between four horses and pulled apart, their remains scattered over the fields for the beasts and birds. Yvonne was silent at the cruel judgment. They soon arrived at Yvonne's castle, and the Tsar saw his daughter and her new man enjoying each other's company. Yvonne cleared his throat. I asked your father what I should do to repay your treachery to me if my luck ever improved, Yvonne began. No, wailed the Tsar, but I could never be so cruel to one to whom I had given my heart. The Serevna disengaged herself from her lover's arm and came to Yvonne, smiling enticingly. Yes, my dear, I'm sure we can come to an arrangement. Oh, I've already made one, Yvonne went on. You and your fellow will leave here with a stout sledge and a good horse. I saved several of the lovely candles that formed from the wax that melted off the church and the orchard trees on our wedding morning. 
These you may have to sell wherever you can. I want no mementos of our false nuptials. For my part, I will seek out and wed the maiden who was the snake I rescued from the fire, she who helped me win the magic ring. For you, my dear, are far more snake than she ever was, and though you sell all the wares I give you to start your lives together, you'll never hold a candle to her. The Decameron shuffled. Ten of spades. Read em and weep, as they say, pigeons. My last tale is your last chance to make sure your own lives don't end unhappily ever after. Get me home by the end of it, or... The witch abruptly stopped her threats. The app indicated there was a box intended for her. Privately, she asked Moot, What does it look like? Hard to say. Sometimes it is a plain box, very old. It appears to be made of ancient birch whispering stories. Sometimes there is evidence of lacquer paintings, very ornate, showing scenes from stories, and sometimes it looks rather like an egg. Baba Yaga shrieked in triumphant delight, rapidly typing the code to take the wondrous object into her inventory. Nothing happened. Give it to me, she cried. You may claim it at your next telling. Why can't I have it now? Your turn has not come. Telling the group what lay in store for them if they failed you doesn't count. Baba Yaga cursed, then laughed. What do you mean, if? They will fail. I can read all their fates like badly marked cards, and I don't intend to lose the final hand. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful storied place, the ancestral lands of the Sinemuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.